Hello and welcome to Parkour Ed, the English language podcast coming to you from the International French School of Singapore. My name is Colin Daly and I invite people to come and sit down with me and tell me the paths they took to arrive here. I have a special guest with me today and I'm going to let him introduce himself starting with his name because we all have a unique name that was given to us for some unique reason and it's often interesting. So tell us about yourself. Hello, I'm Michael Lefebvre and I'm teaching in a primary section at the French school. I've been teaching here for about seven years now and I've been teaching abroad for about 20. Michael Lefebvre. Michael Lefebvre. Yeah. Tell us about your name. About the first name, my mom actually, she was a founder of a professional dancer because Michael Donart really liked the way he was dancing and so she named me after him. All right. Did that have any effect on your dancing ability? Actually, yes. Oh, I. Yeah. Did a lot of dancing. Okay, so we'll get to maybe, that. Maybe. We'll get maybe. to that. And what else can you tell us? Lefebvre. About the last name, I'm not really sure, but it's a really typical French name. There are so many people that share the same last name. But you have different way of writing it, so you can add a B or not. Mine doesn't have one. From my experience, I would say that with a B, sometimes it's come from Canada, but oh. I'm not really sure. When were you born? I was born in 1978. <laughs> Michael, is that a common name for people your age? Yes, it's quite common, actually, but there's another teacher called Michael Lefebvre, and I don't know if you remember that because we had that talk oh. before, but when I decided to become a teacher, we have to go through... Oh yeah, you did tell name. me about this. Yeah. You told me about this and you received his scores or he received... Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. we have so, to talk about that again. Yeah. That was so interesting. I had his grade and he had mine, so I failed the first time in my life that I failed. And it was just because I had a common name and there's another Michael Lefebvre oh. in the south of France that was super happy to have a nice grade. <laughs> I remember that story now. Yeah, I should mention to everybody, we have had an interview before, and yeah. I unfortunately had problems with my recorder and a battery issue, an easily avoidable problem, which I was not able to avoid. And so now today I've taken the necessary steps so that won't happen again. So I'm very grateful that you could come in again and talk because we had such a great conversation last time. I'm sure this one will be just as good, if not better. I had uh, so, really an amazing time last time as well, so yeah. I'm really happy to see you again. Yeah, it's good. We don't see each other enough. We were just talking about how the school is so big and the campuses are kind of divided. I mean, physically, there's a, there's a fence and a construction site between us, and the, both campuses, or campi, should I say, in Latin, are so much bigger than they used to be. So the last time I saw you was when we last spoke, and when was that? Well, that was in June, I think, or just before the vacation. No? Really? That long ago? Yes. Oh, that was right. just before the summer vacation, I think. Yeah. So, anyway, it's good that you're here. Yeah, thank I'm, you for I'm, coming. once again, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be on this part of the campus of the school. We barely come here. And it's a pity, because I think it's good to share and to meet other teachers. So, I would love to have more projects and ideas like that, where you can meet other. I know there's the IFS club, people get together for common interests, and there are also activities that people animate after school, but you don't actually see your colleagues that much, you're just still with kids. But you can come over to the high school to do those, and we can go over to the primary school to do those. A little bit more mixity. Yeah, I do one actually on Wednesday. I come here. I'm in charge of the volleyball club. We have a few teachers from the primary, a few teachers from kindergarten and also a few ones from the secondary. So it's interesting. It's really nice. The club used to be open, you know, for parents and people from the French community before. 
and that was a good moment as well. But now it's no longer open because there's just too many people, we can't accommodate everyone? I'm really not sure about the reason why they stopped that. I thought first it was about insurance problem, but actually I think it's just about the status of the school. We are supposed to do teaching kids and not teaching adults, so that's a privilege you can have for teacher, for staff but not from people from the community. So maybe it will change in the future. You arrived here how long ago? I arrived in Singapore in 2013, so that's about 10 years ago. So I've done my ninth year, so now on my 10th year. So I worked for the first two, three years in another international school at La Petite École. And then I decided to come here to the Lycée Français. It was a beautiful opportunity. And I'm happy to be here. You had a, a role in the administration, a curriculum coordinator or something. What, what did you do exactly at the uh, Petite École? Yeah, I was the director pedagogic, okay. pedag- pedagogical director. So I was part-time teaching and I was part-time directing. So that was, La Petite École was still fairly new, maybe three, four, five years old. And so I was there just to help them to develop and to put nice structure, So which worked really well for... Two years and a half, almost three years. And then you made the jump over to IFS, or LFS at the time. And yeah, it became the IFS. LFS. Yeah, yeah. When you arrived, where did you start teaching? Are you still on the same level? I'm still on the same level, and I would like to explain why. So at La Petite Ecole, for example, I was teaching in kindergarten, so I was in Wayne section. We call that mid-K. Mid-K? Mid-K in the United K-1? States. In the USA, we call it, there's pre-K, okay. mid-K, and then kindergarten. Kindergarten is grande section. Mid-K oh. is the year before kindergarten, pre-K. Yeah. It doesn't exist in the public system in the United States. We call that preschool in the United States, mm-hmm. but that's just vocabulary. I think we agree it's probably the most important years of the educational <laughs> pathways for the kids, I think. That's one of the things I believe. I but, agree. Uh, so since I joined the IFS or LFS... I've been teaching in second grade, so CE1. And that's one of my favorite grades because for me, you have a balance between the knowledge, so what you're teaching, and the relationship with the students. And I feel like C one you still have a good connection with the students. And at the same time, you're developing new skills. You're learning the basic of French language, grammar, vocabulary, orthography, conjugation. That doesn't exist in first grade. And, yeah, some new skill in mathematics as well. So I think it's really important to start well with those topics. So that's the reason why. I love CE1. I taught CE1 for five or six years here at IFS in the bilingual stream with Nathalie Marcias Mm. and then went up to CE2 with David Gagnard. But still, the time that I was with Nathalie in CE1, I learned so much about teaching and about the kids, and it was just a great experience. I love that level. So that's a level... Did you feel you went to the you went to the zoo, right? You yes. had the zoo outing where you sleep at the zoo. That's yeah. a whole a whole experience in itself. A balance between the kids, there has to be a connection. I think there's always needs to be a connection with the teacher and the students and the families. But there is that connection, that meaningful how would I say, relationship that you have to have with the whole class in order to make it function well and I always enjoyed it. It's a lot of work too. A lot of energy. But that's what I think about a teacher. A teacher should be involved in his class. It's a little community. It's the daily life, what happens. And I think like C1 is a perfect example of that. There are so many learning that we do on a basic experience, you know, every day, right. on a day-to-day life. And every opportunity that pops up, you can capitalize on it as a teaching moment. It's true that in CE1, that the curriculum is important, but you can apply it to what you're doing. 
you know, you create projects. I'm assuming you do, you do these projects and you integrate all of the math skills. And I love the term world discovery, découverte du monde. I'm not sure if they still call it that. We change it now. What's recently. it called now? It's called questionner le monde. Questionner le monde. Okay, because that, that makes sense as well. But mm. I just like the idea of finding out things as you're becoming aware of them. Slowly, your consciousness is going away from yourself towards the world around you and, and kids are learning this, experiencing this at different moments in the year, not all at once. I love that. It's great. So for me about Questionner le Monde, I like to start with something we have lived together, you know, so the zoo experience, for example, or anything that can happen in the school. And I think that's what it's supposed to be, right? To discover, to try to understand, to question yourself. Can you explain to us what the zoo thing is? I mean, I know what it is because you did it I did it several times. I think I was in one of the first years that we went. It's evolved. What do the kids do? So it has changed since COVID. So we didn't go for the last two years. So this year is the first year that you are actually going back. Basically, we spent two days at the zoo with an overnight field trip. We sleep at the zoo. It's beautiful. It's a really nice moment. It's, I think, something really important in the classroom. And you can really feel the difference in the class before and after the zoo experience. And we go there to try to understand several points about the zoo. And it has evolved as well. We don't really go there to just watch animals. They talk about the conservation of species. They talk about how they help to rehabilitate animals. They talk about deforestation and they talk about real problems and how they can help with that. So the activities they have is actually really nice. It has evolved. It's beautiful. We still go behind the scene and we still observe some animals, like where they actually keep different species, and we study them over there. They have the big presentations in the amphitheaters and, of course, the meals and all the fun things about being away from home. For a lot of the kids, they're not often away from their parents, right? So it's a whole new discovery. Thing. And how many times in your life can you say that I slept at the zoo? Exactly. <laughs> so do they have tents now, or was it still out in the open with cots? Because the first year I went, there were no tents. They were just cots. And we just covered ourselves with bug spray and hoped it didn't rain, and we were lucky. And then the second year, you had a choice. There were a couple of tents, but a lot of people slept outside on cots again. But I can't imagine what it would be like if it started pouring rain. It's well organized right now. So we have tents for the students, and they have to pitch the tents. So it's kind of a group activities. It's really nice. It's nearby the lake, the reservoir. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's beautiful area. It's a beautiful experience for them as well. So. Well, thanks. That's a nice trip down memory lane for me. I kind of missed those days, but it's a lot different now. But getting back to you, so you were born in France, is that right? I was born, born in France, yes. So you're a French citizen? I'm a French citizen. Are you any other citizen as well? or No, for now, just a French citizen. <laughs> for now, but I don't know how you feel about Planet uh, Earth. having lived yeah, <laughs> everywhere like for the last 20 years. I feel like we belong to the Earth. We are citizens of the universe and uh, yeah i feel the same way i feel like what's important for me when i move from a country to another one is to belong to that country to try to understand how they live to respect the rules and then i think the good part of it is you can also judge a little bit about your own country the decision they make and you can see what you like what you don't like about different countries 
If I recall, you're from the south of France originally? Yeah, Cannes. From Cannes, that's right, okay. And do you have brothers or sisters? Yeah, I have an older brother and a younger sister. My sister still lives in the south of France, but my brother lives in Paris, just for work, I guess. But I'm the only one who has lived abroad. So you were born in 78, you say, and you grew up in a Cannes area? It's that's between Marseille and Cannes. I remember talking to you last time about how you grew up in that area, but I don't remember exact details, but I do remember about your choice to become a teacher, actually. That was really your own choice, something that you went off on your own to do, something you really wanted to do. Am I right? Yeah, I'm living my dream because I've always wanted to become a teacher as far as my parents, anyone can remember. That's what I've always wanted to do. How did you make that decision? When did that dawn upon you? Are we talking CM1 or Grand Section or... Or when you were in college? I asked my parents about that and they told me, like, since I went to school, so maybe three, four years old, I've always wanted to become a teacher. I think it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful work. I told you also last time that for me it was difficult at the beginning. When I received my first salary, I was like, what? Why do I get money? And I didn't <laughs> understand that because I was doing what I liked. And... Uh, but I was happy to have money. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say, you know, if you do what you love, it's not like work. But nowadays, it'd be nice to get the salary. Yes. And also, I feel like education has evolved, has changed, even after the coronavirus. So it's a different type of work. Interesting, more tiring, but it's beautiful. Still my dream, still living it. And I try to evolve with that as well. Your parents weren't teachers, though. You don't come from a teaching family, per se, do you? No, my that... dad is an engineer, and my mom was actually working in a school, but she was preparing food for the canteen. She's a cook, right? And she was in charge of all the public school in my town. Did you ever see her at school when you were a kid? Or oh, of she... course. Yeah, you did, okay. Yeah. <laughs> My kids went to this school, went to IFS, so I saw them in school all the time. In fact, I had my son in CE1. He was in my class. That was How did that quite go? interesting. Really well. He called me Mr. Papa. <laughs> <laughs> the students called me Mr. Daly, and he called me Mr. Papa. At the time, the English teachers were called by their Mr. or Ms. You know, title. I talk about that recently with my students because we were talking about me when I went to CE1 or to primary school, and I was telling them, until now, I have no idea what were their first name. Because, yeah, we used to give them the title, Mr. or Miss. Right, or Maître, right? Maître, maître, maître maîtresse. Yeah. yeah, but I always called, like, for example, my C1 teacher was Madame Vaujean. I don't have any clue what's her first name. That was Madame Vaujean, that was it. And I feel like that, that goes with the evolution of education. I don't judge if it's good or bad, but I think that was another type of respect. I really don't know if it was better or not. It's definitely different. I know that the Dutch do the Mr. or Mrs. and then first name. So when I taught at a Dutch school in Jakarta, I was Mr. Colin instead of just Colin, you know. And then when I taught at the French school in Taipei a long time ago, very small school at the time, I was just Colin. They called me Colin. And so I never felt the lack of respect when they used my first name. It's almost like that's the English version of vouvoiement is calling somebody by their, their family name instead of their first name. I don't know. Yeah, perhaps. I agree with you. Because you can be very respectful and use tu, or you can be very disrespectful and use <laughs> vous. I was about to say that, yes. <laughs> Did you 
always go to the same school? Did you move around at all? Did you grow up in the same neighborhood the whole time? Yeah, we didn't move. So I stayed in the south of France, and I only went to public school. Okay. So that's what I like also about the French system, and I think for me a good country depends also on their access to public school and their level of public schools. I studied in the south of France, always wanted to become a teacher. My dad, though, he was coming from a farmer family. He wanted to become an engineer, so he became an engineer. And he didn't like the idea when I told him that I wanted to become a teacher. That was downgrading or something. But at some point, I had to make decision whether I would please my parents or follow what I wanted to do. And I'm happy that I followed my path, yeah. even if it wasn't the easiest way. You graduated from lycée. Then you did your baccalaureate, classic. Yeah, yeah, classic. So at that time, you had different filières. Yeah, it was like A, B, C, D, or was it... Uh, that was already... Was that changed. before? That was, no, okay. yeah, so that was after. That was S for science, oh, yeah. L for literaire. Yeah, that just ES changed a few for, years ago. Yeah. That's only been, what, th- two or three years that that's changed. Yeah, I guess so. My daughter did L and my son did ES. So, okay. so I did S with a specialty in mathematics. And so after my baccalaureate, mathematics, the science one with mathematics option, I had a lot of opportunities. I know that I wanted to become a teacher. So in France at that time, it has changed as well. You needed a bachelor degree in anything in order to enter the school to become a teacher, l'UFM. They didn't have normal school anymore? They called no. normal? No, it was called UFM, Institut Universitaire de Formation des Maîtres. Right. But you need a bachelor degree in anything. So... I thought about, like, what should I do? Because I was okay in languages, I was okay in French, in mathematics, in sport, so I could have done anything. And mathematics was the easiest one for me, so I decided to have a bachelor degree in mathematics and computer science. And then when I graduated from that, I entered the UFM. Also, I chose mathematics because my dad was still hoping that I would become an engineer. <laughs> it was your fallback. Engineer was your fallback. Yes, right. that's what I was. Your emergency. I, See, yeah. In case I don't succeed in becoming a teacher, I can always be an engineer. That's what I used to tell him, and he was <laughs> mad about that. I would love to see his face when you say that. I've got some engineer friends who get a chuckle out of that, I'm sure. Now, the story that you told about Michael Lefebvre, who actually got your grades and you got his grades, was that for the CAPES or was that for something else? Yeah, so CAPES is for secondary. For primary, call that CAPE. CAPE. Without the Okay, so it was for the CAPE. Yeah. So you need to do a test to enter the UFM. And they take maybe 400 out of 4,000 or something like that. So it's really hard to enter the school. So, Especially in that region of France, because yeah, yeah. it's a popular place. Yeah. I mean, people love living in Cannes, right? Down, of course. I mean, it's beautiful. French Riviera. Of course, yeah. So I entered the school, and I spent a year there, and I was doing really well, because I believe, as a person, as a teacher, that if you really want something, you can work, and you can always try to make your best. So that's what I was doing. I was really dedicated, and I was a hard worker, so I had good grades. I don't know if you remember that, but I was telling you that till the point where on the final preparation exam, I don't know, in mathematics, I think I had something like 19 out of 20, and the second person had like 11 or something like that. So there was a massive gap. I say that not to show off, but just because it was important for me to understand that, okay, I was doing well, and I was really trying my best. And that was devastating when I received actually the the grand finale grade because they mixed up my name with someone else, with another Michael Lefebvre, and that was difficult. So 
at that time, I don't know if it has changed or not, you had different exams, right? So you have mathematics, French, you have different options, and you have an oral, an oral d'entretien. So you have a year to write about a topic. So for me, that was about the integration of students with disabilities and how we can integrate them and help them to learn better. And so you have two parts. The first part, you talk about what you wrote, the studies you made, and the second part, they ask questions about it. And I was making sure that when I was talking about what I wrote, that I was leaving some gap. So they would go to those gaps to ask me questions. That's what I did. And at the end of the exam, I remember one of the examinators told me, wow, it's really nice to have people like you in the Education Nationale. So I was like, okay, I think it's going to be okay. I didn't think that I would finish first or second. That wasn't the purpose. But I'm like, okay, I'm finally going to become a teacher. And I remember the day when I went to see the result. It was horrible because I was looking at the list, you know, and you're like on the first two, no, no. And I didn't see my name. So then at the end, I see that you have all the teachers that are here. And you have, I don't know how to say that in English. They have extra ones, you know, just in case if some people, they don't want to do that anymore. And I was the last one on the list. I was the last one. I was number 117. And I was like, wow, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. And it was difficult for me. I think that was a beautiful learning about how sometimes, even if you do your best, sometimes it's not the right time. It's so surprising that just some type of administrative error, clerical error, can be such a roadblock, but we've all come across those types of roadblocks in administrations. It's so frustrating. I mean, nothing as serious as not getting your place, but I mean, it's just you want to rip your hair out when that kind of thing happens. So how did you overcome it? Did you have to retake the test the following year? Absolutely not. So, well, yes, but let me tell you how I found out about that. Okay, so after that, you receive your grade, right? And with a big oral, with a grand oral, I had like 7 out of 20. And I was like, I thought it was well, right? They even told me, oh, we're happy to have people like you in the Education Nationale. So I was like, how come I had only 7, right? And you can actually request to have the report. So they gave it to me. But they give you just right on time so that you cannot really uh, do any, I don't know how to call that. You can't complain? or Yeah, complain, like any complaint. Or some kind of an appeal, make an appeal. Yeah, you cannot, it's really tough. Anyway, so I received it, and it was clear that you can see that it was written with two different writing, and you have two different grades, and yeah, it was like, yeah, really nice, really nice soutenance. And at the end, it was like, yeah, it's not enough, seven. And so at that time also, do you remember I told you that my dad didn't want me to become a teacher, right? Which means that he didn't want to pay for my studies. So during that time, I had to work at the same time. So during the day, I was going to school, to the UFM. And during the evening, I was working in a boarding school. And so that boarding school, that contract that I had, I don't know if they exist anymore. It's called Emploi Jeune. They actually belong to the Education Nationale. So when I found out about that, the responsible of all the employees in France came from Paris to meet me in Nice at the UFM. And I had a meeting. It was surreal. I'm like, I don't know what's happening right now. And we had to talk about like how I'm going to overcome that problem. I'm like, but you know, for me, it's difficult because I really put all my energy and I thought I did well. Let's not talk about that. 
how are you gonna do now? And I'm like, I don't know. I really don't know because I feel like that's what I want. That's what I've always wanted to do. And I thought I did my best. And we came with an agreement. So the agreement was for the next year, I would go back to the school. Usually in the UFM, you can enter only once. So I went twice. And I would still work as an employee, but they will do special arrangement with my schedule. For example, you have a sport, right? So they would count my own sport. So I was playing volleyball in a club as work hours. So during, yeah, and I had like three of them for a week, oh, wow. a week. So work hours. So you paid to play volleyball. Exactly. So you're a professional athlete. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. But they were, that's all the agreement we had. Different things like that. And the next year, yeah, I had it like right away. And I remember also there was for the sport exam, some teachers, that, that was the same jury. And they told me, oh, we didn't give you enough last year. And I said, yeah, probably not. And they gave me like a really nice grade. So anyway, so for me, the point is to understand that sometime in life you may fail and it's not because of you. Maybe you've done your best, you gave it all, but maybe that can be some other type of problem. And it's okay, it's just a learning as well that not everything is perfect. That's a great lesson to learn. It's good that you learned it young. So then you ended up teaching, and you were teaching near where you grew up? So I told you my mom was living in the Var near Toulon, but I was studying in Cannes. So, okay. So I worked for a year in Cannes, and I've always wanted to travel. So after my first year, I decided to go abroad. And so where did you go first? I love the United States. So I applied to different schools in the U.S. and chose San Francisco. I taught in San Francisco for three years. Three years in San Francisco. Tell us about San Francisco at the time you were there. It was great when you first arrived, I assume, because you're on a visa that allows you to... Yeah, that was also the not, reason not why Not pay I taxes, left. not pay the same amount of taxes, I suppose. Yeah. And in California, it was beautiful at that time. So yeah, that's also the reason why I had to leave, because when you arrive, I don't know if they still do that, actually, but it's called J-1 visa. So it lasts for three years, but you're exempted of taxes for the first two years, which actually with the French law, it doesn't make sense, because if you have a salary, you need to pay taxes somewhere, right? But somehow, it works. So for the first two years, you're... Gross income is your net income. That's so nice, honestly. And then after three years, you need to change your visa, right? And you need to have a residence visa, like H-1B visa. And I didn't get it at that time because there were so many applicants and not enough visa. So that's why I left. And I decided to go to Mexico. What part of Mexico did you go to? Mexico City? Yeah, nearby Mexico City. Actually, I worked at the Lycée Francais of Mexico. But they have an antenna in Cuernavaca, which is the capital city of the state of Morelos. So it's closer to Mexico, but it's in between Mexico and Acapulco. And I spent five years there. Did you speak Spanish before you got there? Absolutely not. But I you learned, learned while you were there. Yes, oh. and that's something interesting with actually what we do at school with Emil and everything. I didn't want to take any lessons. So my fluency in Spanish is actually, I would say, quite good. It's probably better than English still. And I wanted to learn Spanish without taking Spanish classes, so I did different things. I did a, a cooking course for a year and salsa lessons, so that's why the dancing is coming. That's the experiential learning and the motivation to communicate with people. The vocabulary also it can be really specific, right? During COVID, I started learning Italian 
because I had a few students who spoke Italian, a few Italian students, and one day I just thought it'd be funny to learn a few words in Italian so I could walk into class and say, you know, buongiorno, ragazzi, you know, just to freak them out a little bit. And so I picked up Duolingo and started it. I really enjoyed it. It was kind of soothing and not too difficult because it's similar in many ways to French. Then last summer I went to Luca for a week and took some lessons. And so what you're saying is ringing true to me. I really enjoyed visiting you know, going around and meeting Italian people and trying to talk with the shopkeepers and everything. I was thrown in a room about the size of the studio with a bunch of other Americans and we were learning. So this year I'm going back. I'm going back for three weeks this time. Okay. But I'm going to stay with a host family. But don't you feel that's what we're actually doing at school, like the immersion, right? Mm -hmm. For me, that's a, that's a concept that is really important. If yeah. you want to learn a language, you need to be in an environment that speaks actually that language. So... For me, that's why it makes sense. Like, you learn Spanish when you go to Spain or to Mexico. And because you don't have the other option, right? You want to communicate, you want to do something. So you are forced to open up and to understand and also to try to express yourself. And I think that's the key for me, to learn a new language. Definitely. Really just wanting to speak with people. That's such a big thing. I lived in Taiwan for four years. I decided to go to Taiwan and decided before going that I wasn't going to learn Chinese because it was too difficult. I had taken a Chinese course in college for a trimester. It was Introduction to Chinese Language and Culture. And I said, well, this language is impossible. I'm not even going to try. But once I got there and I met all these people that I enjoyed meeting and I wanted to talk to some of them, and I realized that you don't think about how hard something is. The motivation is wanting to talk with people. So there's no point in trying to learn a language if you don't want to talk to the people. I think that's why we do at school here. That's what the Emil program is about. That's about discovering new things in another language. That's what I was doing in Mexico when I learned salsa and cooking. And you learned salsa pretty well from what I remember. You were pretty into it, right? Yes. Recently we spoke with Emmanuel Bernet. You know Emmanuel. Of course. Have you talked to him? He's a quite a dancer as well have you guys been out we do we do go out sometime to dance the salsa scene in singapore is actually quite interesting it's really nice that's something we do so emmanuel is one of my best friends here we share the same history about dancing we did some competition actually we didn't know each other but we did an international competition in acapulco I think it was probably 2012. And you were both at the same competition? Yeah. Oh, really? But I cannot find any video of him or anything, but yeah, he, he was there at that time. And he went to Acapulco just for the competition? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I would love to go out with you guys some night and check it out. I can't dance. I've got two left feet. I mean, I'm not going to say I can't dance. I've just I've never learned how. Oh, you haven't found like the how. right professor the right way to learn it for you right so for me what i like about those kind of festival and i think we should do that for more topics for example when you go to a festival it lasts for three four days during the day you have classes and when i talk about classes with professional dancer with qualified teacher with stars with legend and you can interact with them you can talk to them in the evening you either have a competition or some shows that are beautiful and after that you have social dancing and social dancing you can also dance with those stars so i dance with world champion and i think it's a beautiful opportunity to talk to the people to see their path and what they've done it's so great it's amazing that sounds like a lot of fun actually i would love to be able to do that for other activities that you like right i love playing music and i love salsa music it's fun but it's hard to play 
It's so rhythmic and fast, you know? You play guitar, right? Uh, guitar. Bass, bass and bass. guitar, yeah. Okay, so imagine in a festival where you actually have your favorite bands, so that happens. Yeah. But if you have a class with them and they teach you what they do and how they do, oh. that would be amazing, right? Amazing, yeah. yeah. And in the evening where you can play with them. I love that and I think it's beautiful and the people there, they are really nice. I also like the fact that there are a lot of respect and... It's not because you're male that you need to invite a female. It can go both ways. And it's really nice. It's a lot of respect. I love that. And so you were in Mexico. For five years. And is that where you started salsa dancing? Yes. Okay. And then what led you to leave Mexico? I left Mexico because there was some prime with the school. And also Mexico was starting to be difficult and it was dangerous. And I had an opportunity with the inspector of the zone, Amérique du Sud, I had an opportunity to teach in Rio de Janeiro, in Brazil. The opportunity was coming from the fact that in Mexico, our school was quite small. We had only 15 classes in total. And among those classes, we had only four qualified teachers. So our job in our description was to help the non-qualified teacher. But even if you are not qualified, sometimes they were amazing, right? And I remember one of my best friends came to the school and he was working in something else. And he's like... I want to change. I want to become a teacher. And I'm like, okay, I think we can do something about it. So I started to develop a program with my director about what do you need to do actually to become a teacher? How can you learn it like the hard way? Because that's how it used to be a long, long time ago. And so we defined some professional skills. And the program I helped design was about when you come in our school, we just do a regular assessment like, Take the class and see how you feel. And according to what we see about the uh, geste professionnel, we're going to define a path, an individual path for each one of the future teacher. And so, for example, I think I'm working okay with groups. So if you need to learn that, if you feel like, okay, that's something you need to have in your bag as a skill, you may be going to spend two weeks with me. One week, you're going to observe and take note about how I make the group, how it works, how we can change, how we get the attention of everyone, everything about groups. And then you're going to have also some time for you to experiment and see how it goes. So it was working well. I had a lot of people that became teachers thanks to that. And also what was following that is after you graduated, you have to spend a year with a, a qualified teacher to follow through. So that friend in question, Rémi, after he graduated, he had the same grade as me. So we were in fifth grade, I think. And from time to time, he was coming to my class to observe. And from time to time, I was going to his and to see. So that was like in two years, I think it was well. And the good thing about that is the French education system has a way to become a teacher without all the qualification, all the bachelor degree that he didn't have or the UFM that he didn't go through. So that was Concours Troisième Voie. I don't know if it's still working, but... Okay. So right now he's... A it's like the third lane. The third yeah. lane. Qualified teacher in France, and he doesn't even have a bachelor degree. Get people who are meant to be in the classroom who just didn't have the right... Uh, didn't take the didn't take the laid out road. It's, that's what parkour ed is all about: finding out people's pathways. And people rarely take the same ones. You know, we have this idea that there's a classic way to become something, but it's not always like that. Yeah. So the inspector back then, I think he appreciated that, and he gave me an opportunity to develop that in Brazil. I lived in Rio de Janeiro for two years. 
what made you leave Rio? A girl. There you go. Yes. So then I fell in love with someone, and that's the reason why I came to Singapore. She was coming to Singapore. That's our that's our favorite song. That's yeah. <laughs> we actually don't have the same one in the primary, you know. No, it's a different one. This is actually the the sound of our our podcast theme music. Our podcast theme music oh, yeah, is yeah, the right. is the jazz think. version of this because a former student, Loris Marcel, wrote it on the piano, and his father, Yves Marcel, had it converted for the bells. But super interesting. We talked about that on a different episode, but. Uh, so, so two years, and then you came here, and after Brazil, you came to Singapore, is that right? Yeah, I came to Singapore because at that time, I was teaching in, in Brazil for about a year and a half, almost two years, and then I had a friend from San Francisco, where I used to teach, who wrote to me, he's like, hey, Mika, there's a girl that used to teach our, our school, she's leaving our school, and she has an interview in Rio de Janeiro, can you help her? Like, of course I can help her. So then we started to talk, and she actually came to Rio to have an interview, not with a French school, with a British school. And she had two options back then. That was either Rio de Janeiro or Singapore, Stanford American School. She already had a contract with the Stanford American School, so she was just waiting for Rio. Anyway, she came to Rio. I helped her. She passed the interview, but she didn't get a job. So in the meantime, we fell in love. And she decided to go to Singapore. So then that's exactly the other half of the world, right? We have 12-hour difference. Yeah, that's (laughs) totally the empty pod. And so we were like, what should we do? It's a really long distance, right? So I decided that at that time it was more important for me to be in a meaningful relationship. And that's why I left my job there and came here. I'm glad you did. Yeah, it was an easy choice, actually, you know, when you think about the opportunity that you have everywhere. And I think also in life, it's good to realize that nothing is ever acquired. And sometimes you have to fight your ideas to start something new, right? Grow. You see yourself long term at IFS or are you getting itchy feet? I love the school. I mean, I'm really fond of the school. I think, you know, with the fact that we used to be able to be part of any part of the school, like any conseil or any group. I love that. And I was part of all of that for many years. I love that part. You feel like you're really part of the school. So for me, I love the school. It's a place where I think they understand the needs of the teacher, of the kids. And it's a beautiful environment. I think it's not only about everything that we have, like pools or a gymnasium, but it's about what we do and how we connect with the students so I love the school that's probably one of my favorite school in the world that being said I don't know if I would stay longer in Singapore I think I've been here for about 10 years I love Singapore I don't see right now any reason why I would leave but I know that every time I left a country there was a reason I haven't found the reason why I would leave right now so it's difficult to answer that question because I love the school I would like to see more We'll see. How about you? That's a good question. My lease expires at the end of next year. So I have one more year left on my lease. And it all depends on the prices of rent afterwards because it's increasing so quickly. The price of housing is going up so much. And I don't know if I can afford it anymore. But that's what I liked or I used to like about the school is I feel like here they understand you and they give you what you need. So I hope they can work 
things out and yeah. make sure that we can live here and have a nice life. Yeah, that would be great. But in any case, it's been a real pleasure having you back in here, Mikael. Thank you for coming and talking to me and talking to all of us here on Parkour Ed. Yeah. I hope we can do it again. We can have another chat sometime. I would love to. Thanks a lot. For all of us here at Parkour Ed, bye for now. Thank you, bye. This has been Parkour Ed with Colin Daly. If you enjoyed today's show, consider giving it a rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you'd like to be interviewed or if you have questions about anything, feel free to contact me at colindaly at gmail.com. That's C-O-L-I-N-D-A-I-L-E-Y at gmail.com. <laughs>